Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack family. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 121. I'm fired up. The demonic Democrats stole the 2020 election from we the people, but that was just the beginning. They've begun a concerted effort to assure that there will never again be anyone except Democrats elected to the presidency and the majority of both houses of Congress ever again. It begins with H.R. 1, or For the People Act, and a bevy of other tyrannical Soviet-style moves. We're going to talk about that this week, and what can be done about it. As you know, I don't like asking for your financial support. I always want a win-win situation whenever possible. Well, I've got a way for you to help this apostolate without you having to do anything you're not already doing. Everybody shops on Amazon. I've developed an affiliate relationship with Amazon. When you visit cantankerouscatholic.com and click on the Episodes page, Blog page, or About the Show page, on the right-hand side of the page you'll see Amazon ads for Catholic books and merchandise. There's no price difference from Amazon's site, but if you click on something you're interested in and buy it, Amazon will pay me a small commission just for you clicking on that ad. It doesn't stop there, either. Anytime you're on Amazon and find things you want to buy, send me the link to the items and I'll send you another link to click when you're ready to buy. You won't pay a dime more for the item, but Amazon will pay me a commission. That way you can help to financially support this apostolate just by doing what you were going to do anyway. Remember, Visit the episodes, blog, and about the show pages to find Catholic books and merchandise, and send me links to other things you want to buy on Amazon, and I'll send you links that will pay this apostolate a small commission. And I thank you in advance for your support. If the demonic Democrats get their way over the next several months, our beloved Democratic Republic is over. They've set out to go far beyond socialism. They actually want a communist state. They're dressing it up with all sorts of flowery language and claim they're against becoming communists, but their language and actions are two very different things. It all begins with the For the People Act, but there are many layers beyond H.R. 1 to their nefarious plan. Let's begin, though, by looking at the provisions of the For the People Act. The bill would require states to offer same-day voter registration for federal elections and to permit voters to make changes to their registration at the polls. It would require states to hold early voting for at least two weeks and would establish automatic voter registration for individuals to be eligible to vote in elections for federal office in the state. Under the automatic voter registration provision, eligible citizens who provide information to state agencies, including state departments of motor vehicles or public universities, would be automatically registered to vote unless they opt out of doing so. 
The bill would also expand opportunities to vote by mail and would make Election Day a federal holiday. The bill would require states to offer online voter registration, like that can't cause any problems with voter fraud, which has already been adopted in 39 states and the District of Columbia. Under the bill, states would be required to establish a system to allow applications to be electronically completed, submitted, and received by election officials, and to allow registered voters to electronically update their voter registration information. The bill would establish criminal penalties for persons who, quoting from the bill, corruptly hinder, interfere with, or prevent another person from registering to vote, and for voter deception or intimidation, the bill would specifically prohibit knowing and intentional communication of false and misleading information, including about the time, place, or manner of elections, public endorsements, and the rules governing voter eligibility and voter registration made with the intent of preventing eligible voters from casting ballots. The bill would instruct the Election Assistance Commission to adopt recommendations for states on the prevention of interference with voter registration. The bill would also authorize 16- and 17-year-olds to pre-register to vote in advance of their becoming 18. A 2019 proposal by Representative Anna Presley to amend the bill to actually allow 16- and 17-year-olds to vote did not succeed, thanks be to God. The bill would also prohibit the practice of voter caging, whatever that is, and restrict the practicing of voter roll purges by limiting states' abilities to remove registered voters from the rolls and setting conditions for when they could do so. Specifically, the bill would require states to obtain certain information before removing voters from the rolls and would prohibit voter purges from taking place less than six months before an election. The bill prohibits any person from communicating materially false claims meant to prevent others from voting 60 days before an election and compels the Attorney General to correct such misinformation. I'm not even sure what that vague statement means. The bill also requires election officials to timely notify any voter tagged for removal from the rolls and give him or her an opportunity to contest the removal or seek reinstatement of their registration. It also restores voting rights to felons who complete prison terms. Personally, I'm not too sure I disagree with that provision of the bill. Although voting in America is a privilege, the constitutional concept of our criminal justice system is that once a felon has paid his debt to society, the debt is paid in full and the felon is supposed to have a fresh start. We've gotten away from that in reality, but that's ideally how it's supposed to work. Besides, I personally believe that if a convicted felon who served his time is expected to pay taxes as a productive member of society, he should have the right to vote for his representation. That was one of the key factors that launched the Declaration of Independence, after all, taxation without representation. Back to the other provisions of H.R. 1. The bill contains various provisions to promote voting access for people with disabilities and provisions to strengthen the Uniformed and Overseas Citizens Absentee Voting Act by providing protections for military and overseas voters, 
Something else I think is good, but not really necessary. To ensure compliance, the bill would require all states to send uniform service and overseas voters ballots at least 45 days before a federal election, provided a request was received at least 45 days before the election. Require states to use and pay for express delivery and return of the ballots if they fail to send the ballots to uniformed and overseas voters by that deadline, and extend the guarantee of state and residency for voting purposes to all spouses and dependents of absent service members. Current law extends the guarantee to residency only to service members themselves. The bill would create a cause of action allowing the attorney general or a private party to sue the state if a state violates these provisions, and would require states to send reports to Congress documenting the availability of absentee balloting for service members and overseas voters, how many ballots were transmitted, and how many were returned. The bill would also create a congressional task force on voting rights in American territories. Now, this is what the For the People Act provides for future elections if it's passed and pretender Biden signs it into law. The problem is what the United States Constitution says in Article 1, Section 4, Clause 1. It reads, The times, places, and manner of holding elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. And regarding the election of the President of the United States, we see in Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2, that it states, Each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in Congress. You see, six-pack family, the Constitution of the United States specifically states that the individual state legislatures determine how the elections are done in their states. The federal government doesn't have a damn thing to do with it. So the For the People Act is wholly unconstitutional. The problem here is the demonic Democrats and the United States Supreme Court don't give a damn about the Constitution. Just last week, the Supreme Court once again refused to hear a case on voter fraud. Why do they even exist? In all justice, however, I have to point out there are two justices who've consistently voted for the Constitution, Clarence Thomas and Samuel Alito. But they're only two out of nine. I don't care if the entire court voted unanimously to strike down this bill, because the pretender's administration has consistently proven they don't care what SCOTUS has to say. Biden has signed 49 executive orders as of April 15th, and most of them are blatantly unconstitutional. Indeed, many of them make laws that only Congress can make. So it doesn't matter what SCOTUS says, Biden's going to do what he wants to anyway. Biden wants to hedge his bets, though, just in case the majority of justices sooner or later find that they actually do have a backbone and want to stand upright. He wants to add an additional four justices to the high court. Then he and his fellow demons in Congress can begin legislating all their Christmas wish lists through the United States Supreme Court. In order to fully accomplish what they want to do with Obama's promise to transform America, there are two additional things they have to accomplish. 
They have to disarm the American people, or at least make it too difficult to use your arms. The most obscenely far-reaching bill I've seen so far is a bill requiring a gun owner registry akin to the National Sex Offender Registry. I told Justice Scalia back in the 90s when they heard the case on the Sex Offenders Registry that it was only a testing ground to start this sort of thing for guns now. Under the provisions of this proposed legislation, the public registry will have your name, your address, how many guns you own, what guns they are, and where in your home they're kept with your ammunition. I can't see anything going wrong here, can you? They also have a list of guns they say you shouldn't have, and they plan on confiscating them. A lot of people who don't own firearms really don't see this as a big deal. After all, you can only hunt with one gun at a time, right? Those people are ignorant of what the Second Amendment is about anyway. The Second Amendment isn't there so we Americans can hunt. It's there so we can defend ourselves against a tyrannical federal government, defend ourselves against this tyrannical federal government. The registry only makes it easier to confiscate all of our weapons. It's as Jefferson said, Free men do not ask permission to bear arms. He also said, What country can preserve its liberties if its rulers are not warned from time to time that their people preserve the spirit of resistance? Let them take arms. Finally, Jefferson said, The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. He'd be considered a domestic terrorist today, but he's really a father's voice from the past. At the same time your guns are controlled and the Second Amendment becomes worthless, they've got to manufacture a way to know where you are and what you're doing 24 hours a day. The way they'll do that is with the vaccine passports they're pushing. You see, these passports won't just prove you've been vaccinated, which is in and of itself a violation of HIPAA laws. They aren't just a laminated card you'll carry in your wallet. Oh no, these passports are worn on your ankle or wrist. These electronically read passports will have all of your personal information in them. Everything from your phone number to your address to your credit card score and the cars you own. Everything, even more than I've already mentioned. They'll also know what medications you take and why. They'll know who your employer is, who your girlfriend is, how many kids you have, and their names. They'll know everything about you. Article 5 of the Constitution provides a remedy for this sort of tyranny. Article 5 allows the states to submit to the U.S. Senate to call a convention so we can make the necessary changes to bring the tyrants back under constitutional control. We've got 15 of the 39 state legislatures we need for this quickly growing movement. I'm a big believer in Article 5 Convention of States, and I'm not alone. Other voices are radio host and constitutional scholar Mark Levin, Congressman Louis Gohmert, Governor Ron DeSantis, Charlie Kirk, Governor Mike Huckabee, Senator Jim DeMint, Senator Rand Paul, Ben Shapiro, Congressman Mark Meadows, Colonel Alan West, Governor Greg Abbott, and many, many more. The problem I see with an Article 5 Convention of States now is that all the supporters haven't yet accepted what I already have. 
If we had all 50 states on board with this right now, I believe the Senate would completely ignore us. The Senate would never convoke a convention of states, despite that the Constitution says they have to. Until supporters of Article 5 accept the reality I see, they'll never admit the terrible thing that must be done. We either have to fight or secede, which would lead to a fight anyway. Of course, a third alternative is to sit by and watch what the demonic Dems have in store for us, but as Jefferson said, I prefer dangerous freedom over peaceful slavery. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to just the news. Angel Studios is a Christian-based film company hoping to launch several TV and film projects that are faith and family-friendly. The company was able to raise $5 million in one week. Producer and director Matt Edwards said, There's a huge underserved market in the country. (laughs) That's an understatement. Amazing! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number four. Hats off to the Daily Signal. The Pentagon announced that the military will now perform gender transitions for service members. Oh boy. Once an individual gets a diagnosis from the military medical system that gender transition is necessary, commanders then must act on that request within 90 days. Thomas W. Spohr, a retired Army Lieutenant General, called the new policy an unforced error. Well, we did have the greatest military in the world. No, 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 no! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number three. Hats off to the Daily Wire. Governor Greg Abbott lifted the state's mask mandate almost a month ago, despite warnings from health experts of dire consequences. When the mask mandate ended, the seven-day average for new cases was 7,259. But the number of positive cases has dropped for 18 days in a row, now approximately half the amount when the mask mandate was lifted. Wow! That's just incredible! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick number two. Hats off to the Daily Wire. Church membership in the United States dipped below 50% for the first time, according to a recent study by Gallup. In 2020, 47% of Americans said they belonged to a church, synagogue, or mosque, down from 50% in 2018 and 70% in 1999, the survey company announced. Some of the decline in 2020 was due to the coronavirus epidemic, but Gallup predicted that continued decline in future decades seemed inevitable. That makes me sad. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic News Pick Number One Hats off to the Free Beacon. 
The Biden administration cited the coronavirus pandemic as a reason to authorize the prescription of the abortion pill Mifristone through the mail. This new Biden policy will allow at-home self-administered abortions. With this action, the Biden administration has made it clear that it will prioritize abortion over women's safety, allowing unsupervised chemical abortions via telemedicine without requiring timely access to medical care will put women in grave danger, said Gian Mancini, president of March for Life. Despicable! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I am hard, but I am fair. It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill Sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack. One of Farmer Jones' neighbors came to him one day and said, Johnny Little took a wagon load of apples from your orchard. Did you see it, asked the farmer? No, but Joe Williams told me about it. Farmer Jones went to Joe Williams and asked him, Did you see Johnny Little take a wagon of apples from my orchard? Heavens no, what I heard was that he took a wheelbarrow full of apples. It was Henry Anderson who told me that. When Farmer Jones asked Henry about it, he replied, All I said was that he took a pocket full of apples. Nancy Adams told me that. Farmer Jones asked Nancy Adams, who said, Johnny Little was talking to me the other day and said your apples were ripe and that it was about time somebody picked them. This is typical of how bad things get started. Because people like to embellish what they hear, by the time a simple comment made it to Farmer Jones, it had become a major theft. This sort of thing tempts Farmer Jones to anger and possibly rash judgment, and the growing stories could do nothing good for Johnny Little's reputation. This falls under the Eighth Commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, and it's certainly sinful. Before we begin to examine the Eighth Commandment, I have a couple of confessions to make. First, this is the commandment I have the most trouble with in being obedient. The Eighth Commandment covers a lot of different things, as you'll soon see, much more than just lying. Although tempted like everyone else, I have no trouble with telling the truth. It's just several of the other things covered by this commandment that cause me problems. Second, the Eighth Commandment is the hardest commandment of them all to understand in all its implications, and most certainly the hardest to obey. I spend more time in trying to get this one right than any of the others. This concerted effort makes it easy to understand why we say we're practicing Catholics. The Eighth Commandment is probably the most commonly violated of all the commandments, so there is no way we're going to get it all covered this week. Most people think it only covers honesty, but that isn't nearly all it covers. The Eighth Commandment forbids false witnessing, lying, rash judging, 
rash suspicions, flattery, tail-bearing, detractions, calumny, contumely, libel, and the telling of secrets we're obliged to keep. It obliges us to always be truthful, especially when it concerns someone's good name and reputation. It also obliges us to interpret the actions of our neighbor in the best possible way. Let's begin by defining a lie. A lie is anything we know or suspect to be untrue, usually for the purpose of deceiving others. And there's no such thing as a white lie. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says, Man tends by nature toward the truth. It's a perversion of man's nature to tell a lie, because God made man to know and tell the truth. Therefore, no excuse can make the telling of a lie good, since lying in itself is sinful. A basic principle of moral theology is, we may never commit an evil that good may come from it. That includes the so-called white lie. It doesn't matter what anyone or anything else says about lying, specifically the shameful ruling of the U.S. Supreme Court that police officers can lie to a suspect or one being questioned to get a confession or otherwise get at the truth, we must obey God rather than man. Moral theology gives us something called a jocose lie. A jocose lie isn't really a lie at all. It's a story made up in order to amuse or instruct others, such as Jesus' parables or a joke. A jocose lie only becomes sinful if the storyteller fails to make it clear in some way that the story isn't to be taken literally. There's also such a thing as a lie in action. Lying in action is called hypocrisy. A good example is when a parent tells a child to do as I say, not as I do. The next one on our list is rash judging. This is believing something harmful about someone's character without a sufficient reason. For example, you may have a convicted felon attending your parish, and you automatically think he should be shunned and otherwise made to feel uncomfortable enough to go elsewhere. You would be rashly judging his character without sufficient reason. Do you know for a fact that he was guilty of the crime? Even if he was, what is his behavior like now? Can people change? Of course they can. Don't forget, St. Paul was guilty of murdering Christians prior to his conversion. So the best rule of thumb is, take each person where he's at and determine his character by how he deals with you personally and how you observe him dealing with others. Rash judging is wrong because such disrespect to someone's reputation equates to disrespect of the person being rashly judged, and everyone deserves our respect. There are also sins that can be committed by telling the truth. What? Did I just say that? Really? Yep. Those sins are called tail-bearing and detraction. Tail-bearing is telling someone the unkind things others have said about him or her. This is sinful because it provokes a person to anger, hatred, revenge, and other sins. Detraction is acting without an objectively valid reason to tell another's faults and failings to persons who didn't know them. Now, we may tell the faults of another to the proper authority, such as teachers, parents, and police, if we believe the wrongdoer can be helped or stopped from further wrongdoing, or to keep the wrongs from becoming worse. It's important to stress, though, we should be more concerned with seeing the sinner break with sin than to see the sinner punish. 
Next week, we'll continue our examination of the Eighth Commandment. Just know and understand now that all of this only scratches the surface of this demanding commandment of God. The Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. Thomas Aquinas. He said, Hold firmly that our faith is identical with that of the ancients. Deny this and you dissolve the unity of the church. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. Years ago, when I worked in prison apostolate, I met a man whose prison handle was Bobcat. When I met Bobcat, he was in his late 20s, but he'd been such a hard-drinking, hard-living alcoholic that he looked 40 years older. Prison-made alcohol was easy to get, and Bobcat had been getting plenty of it. However, providential events occurred that eventually led him to become a Catholic there in prison. I was privileged to watch a life-changing spiritual transformation come over him. Bobcat stopped drinking, tried to learn all he could about the faith, and turned to the priest and me to help form him spiritually. It was apparent to everyone that Bobcat was on his way to sainthood. As Bobcat began to get close to his release date, I did everything I could to find him a job and a place to live he could go to after his release. It was one of the few times I struck out. Nobody wanted to give an ex-con alcoholic a chance. Bobcat told me that was okay and that he'd just returned to the large city where he'd grown up. I told him that at least he could sleep and eat in the missions until he got back on his feet. Bobcat's face contorted into horror. He told me he'd rather die, that the missions were a near occasion of sin for him, and that he'd return to the bottle if he went anywhere near the missions. After Bobcat was released, it was several weeks before I heard from him. I was surprised to get a letter from him that had a general delivery return address for his local post office. According to the letter, Bobcat was living in a large appliance box under a bridge. He also said that he managed to get the first job he ever had in his life, a dishwasher at a busy restaurant. I got letters from Bobcat every couple of weeks to update me. He told me about his temptation and how grace helped him overcome them. He told me about the priest where he went to daily mass. He said the priest didn't know him, but he was getting to know the priest well through weekly confession. Then in the last letter I got from Bobcat, he told me he'd managed to save enough money to rent a little efficiency apartment that he was going to move into the next week. When I didn't get another letter from Bobcat, I just figured he'd moved on with his life now that he had an apartment. It had been unseasonably cold that winter, but I didn't think much about it. After all, Bobcat had shown how capable he was of taking care of himself. 
Some weeks later, I found out that the night after he mailed that last letter, three days before he was to move into his new home, Bobcat froze to death in that appliance box under the bridge. I was told he was found with a rosary in his hand. It's not enough to bear the Catholic label. We actually have to live the Catholic faith. Bobcat lived his faith heroically. Unfortunately, many Catholics I'd talked to before Bobcat got out of prison don't live their faith heroically. None of them, not a single one, would give Bobcat a chance. One of the corporate works of mercy is to give shelter to the homeless. If someone had given a positive response to my pleas on Bobcat's behalf, he might still be alive today, and those people would have been richer for having known Bobcat. Please keep this story in mind the next time you run across someone less fortunate than yourself. True, you may get burned. (laughs) You probably will get burned. I've been burned more times than I can count, but these people are made in God's image and likeness. Everyone deserves a second chance. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.